In the 1960s, 95% of the uh, clothing Americans bought were made right here in America. Now, 97% is made overseas. That's a complete reversal on the way things used to be in this country. Why don't we change that? Welcome to American Giant. American Giant is all about made in America and American workers and products that they make. It's about good paying jobs that allow people to take pride in their hard work that they do. When they began in 2012, a clothing factory in North Carolina was just going to shut down. They worked with the factory to invest in new machinery and new skill development. And it has changed not just the factory and the people that work there, but the whole community. They make the best hoodie you've ever owned and a lot of other really high quality clothing with cotton that's grown here in America, milled in America, sewn here in America. So go to American-Giant.com, American-Giant.com slash Glenn and save. to hear is the fusion of entertainment and enlightenment. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Well, hello, America, and welcome to the Glenn Beck Program. Today, this hour, you're going to learn history that you probably didn't know. And I warn you, it's all backed up with evidence, so there won't be any imagining of anybody's history today. We begin in 60 seconds. You want beef, you want chicken, you want seafood, and you don't want to cost more than, uh, than it already does at the grocery store. The groceries are going up and up and up, and I'm telling you, meat is going to go through the roof. The best thing you could do is go into your grocery store, talk to your butcher, I'm sure he's going to be fine with doing this, and saying, hey, look, I'm going to buy my meat from you, but then you're not going to raise the price on me ever. And he's going to say, oh, sure, sure, absolutely. What do you think I am, Good Ranchers? And that's when you're going to go to GoodRanchers.com slash Glenn. And you're going to get your one stop for quality meat grown by American ranchers. 85% of grass-fed beef is imported for overseas. Did you know that? But not with Good Rancher. All of their meat, their seafood, everything is from America. So go to GoodRanchers.com. Use the promo code BECK. That's GoodRanchers.com. Promo code BECK. You'll save $30 off any box. And you're going to lock in your price. GoodRanchers.com. Promo code BECK. Timothy Barton is uh, with us now from Wall Builders. Hi, Tim. How are you? I'm good, Glenn. Good to see you. Good to see you. Thank you so much for coming to the uh, to Liberty Week here in St. George. Well, love being here. Yeah. You and your dad are across the street now uh, doing another um, American history uh, seminar. Yep. And usually when we do these, and prop, maybe it's because of me because I'm such a loudmouth, they last three days. But this is being done in one day. 
So actually, we were going to do one-day seminars, and we said there's no way we can squeeze three days into one day. So we're doing a two-day seminar. How so are you? Okay. We found the happy middle ground. Okay. Uh, so you're at, mm, wow, you're at, then today you'd be at my part where it gets really, really dark. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Correct. How are you going to do that? You're so happy. Well, that's the reason I left. It's up to my dad now. I don't yeah. know what he's saying right now. <laughs> I could get back and the whole story's changed. I have no idea. Right. You know, the amazing thing is, and people are seeing this here, backed up by facts. We are a country that is is both Jamestown and uh, Plymouth. Absolutely. And this is a choice. We have this great map that was printed by Congress in 1870. Um, that shows the tree that comes from Jamestown, which is nasty. It's all, it ends in treason and murder and death and slavery. And the tree from the pilgrims leads to freedom. Yep. Uh, and people don't understand the difference between those two and that we have to make a choice every day yep. between those two. Yeah, so it, the map specifically, if people are, are want to look it up, it came out in 1888. They look for 1888 map of Jamestown and Plymouth. Uh, they, they can find that map and it shows the legacy. And, and what's great about even the imagery, it came out of the end of Reconstruction. And so as America has gone through the Civil War, 13th, 14th, 15th Amendment, rights are being restored. At this point, you still have the Union Army in the South enforcing all of those civil rights mm -hmm. before Democrats took over. And, and when President Cleveland comes in and they revoke all of the civil rights laws passed in Reconstruction. But up to this point, they're why showing— Why did they—wait, wait. Why did they do that? Why did, why did Cleveland do that? Well, part of what was going on, there was a, a discrepancy in, in the presidency um, uh, leading up to Democrats getting control of Congress again. And, and part of— uh, the, the, there was not enough electoral votes, and this is before Cleveland. Uh, I, I think it was was it Hayes? I'd have to look that up. Which yeah, is really I, I'm, I'm just I'm I'm so overloaded with my Hayes uh, information <laughs> that I can't sort through it fast enough. So. Well, and yeah, we've been studying for a different conversation, and so now right. I'm like, wait a second, which one is this? Uh, but it, you go back that it was a last Republican before Democrats take over, and. It, there wasn't enough electoral votes to declare a presidential winner. So it goes to Congress and in Congress, it still wasn't really clear that they're still divided of who's going to be the president. And some of the congressmen from the South said, we will, we will acquiesce. We'll say Republicans, you can have the president. If you remove the union army from the South, because the union army is who was enforcing uh, all of these civil rights laws. And, and not everybody in the South was against some of what was going on, but certainly the political leaders, and there was some absolutely racist embedded thoughts in those political leaders oh, in yeah. many of the Southern states. And so they said, we'll give you the presidency if you remove these, the, the Union Army from our different towns. But mm. when the Union Army is removed, they begin revoking some of those civil rights laws that were allowing black Americans to vote. Well, once you have removed the ability for black Americans to vote, that there was at that point, a lot of black elected officials in Southern states, all Republicans, mm. but once Blacks can no longer vote in those states anymore. All of a sudden, Democrats not only come back to power, they have then a super majority coming back with what they're doing. And when they get that power from the South, all of the Southern elected individuals become Democrat again. That's when you begin to see not only Democrats uh, having power in Congress, the, the presidency coming back. That's when you start seeing them go back to some of that racist, uh, racist uh, roots where they're saying, right, Jim Crow. This is when that kind of enters um, and this is part of the legacy of Jamestown and Plymouth. And, and, and even to that map, what's worth noting is when you look at, at where Jamestown and Plymouth are, it shows there are two things uh, that they are rooted in. And in Plymouth, it is built on the Bible. And it's very clearly, there's a book that says oh, yeah. Bible on the side, but Jamestown, it's a coin. We have, hang on just a second, we have downstairs there uh, 
their their letter um, from uh, uh, or their their oath that they had to take as a citizen of of Plymouth. That it's all about God. Yes. All about God. Yeah, it, it's I mean, really, when you start looking at the historical documents, there's there's no question at all that these were individuals who were rooted in faith. When even we have the first printing of Governor Bradford's journal, and, and he identified at times they would spend six to eight hours a day studying the Bible, mm-hmm. that this is who they were. And so it shows in the map that is a foundation of Plymouth. And then it shows the tree growing from there and Jamestown. It shows that the foundation of Jamestown is a coin on the side that says Mammon. And what they were pointing out is, is that some of these individuals, where they had gone wrong, the Bible says, tells us that the love of money is the root of all evil. Yeah. And where they went wrong is they cared more about making money than they did about individuals. I think the same thing could be said about Columbus. He's coming over. He's very, very humble. He gets here. He starts to think, oh, my gosh, I'm going to be famous. I'm going to be the governor. I can make money. And it goes awry and he's humbled again. I mean, whenever anyone is pursuing, at least on this land, when they are just pursuing money, they're destroyed. Uh, Unquestionably. And I I think this is also part of the dichotomy, even in human history, where even with Jamestown and Plymouth, this is this is not a new thought or idea. Uh, You can go back to the famous novel by Charles Dickens, A Tale of Two Cities. Right. This Mm -hmm. was always kind of you have two options and what option you're going to take in America took both options, but it's also worth noting even that that early 1888 map depicts it very well. The majority of America was far more impacted by Plymouth than they were Jamestown, which one of the things that that we will illustrate for people when someone says America's evil, we had Jim Crow laws in America. Unquestionably, we had Jim Crow laws in America, but we always ask the question, where do we have Jim Crow laws? Because right now we're sitting in Utah. You know who didn't have Jim Crow laws? Utah. Neither did Colorado, neither did Nebraska, neither. Really, when you start looking at the tree that came from Plymouth and it goes across all of the northern U.S. and spreads into the western U.S. So all of the northern states, the only the only part that really embraced the Jim Crow laws were the deep democratic south where that racism was embedded in much of their culture. So at what point did the Klan, um, because we have some stuff down in the museum that is horrifying. Yep. And um, one of them is a little Klan card with faces of mostly black, but a lot of whites as well. That basically is a clan killing card. Correct. They would hand them out and say, if you see these people, kill them or call us. Yeah, it was it was the Republican legislature of South Carolina. And in South Carolina, the Republicans, the one fighting for equal rights. Well, that was the Republican Party was the party that all of the former slaves, the black people were joining because that was the party of freedom and equality. Right. And it was because really the first platform, the Republican Party didn't have anything like worse for lower taxes. It was all about anti-slavery, which we also have that. So the first Republican platform came out in 1856 and had nine planks. So nine things of what we fundamentally believe Well, seven of the nine planks were against slavery. Mm -hmm. So, right. This is where it's not confusing at all. The Republican Party was against slavery, which also leads into when when Lincoln gets elected in 1860 on the Republican platform. The Republican platform is still absolutely anti-slavery. When he gets elected and, and South Carolina was the first state to secede, South Carolina released what was known as a Declaration of Causes. It was like their version of the Declaration of Independence. Mm-hmm. And what they acknowledged is that we know with this new Republican leadership that their goal is to end and emancipate the slaves, end slavery, emancipate the slaves. And we know that slavery is no longer South if we remain in the Union and so they conclude this Declaration of Causes by saying, we invite all other slaveholding states to join us in forming 
a pro-slavery confederation. This is where, when people even talk about states' rights, we'd encourage people, go back and read why they actually said they're separating because the political leaders did not argue states' rights. Now, we also make the distinction, not everybody in the South was pro-slavery, just like not everybody in the North was anti-slavery. You had people from New York, as a great example, they were very much pro-slavery, but they were pro-union. Whereas the political leaders in the South, they were so pro-slavery, they said, we don't care about the union, we care more about our slaves. And this is where we would tell people, of the 11 states that seceded, five of them released declaration of causes, where they are literally saying why they're seceding. And in every one of their declaration of causes, they're talking about slavery being the primary reason they are seceding. Well, you're also, you if you look at the constitution of the southern states, you can't join the secession unless you agree with slavery will have slavery and agree to expand slavery elsewhere. Correct. I mean, so it's it's pretty darn clear. And what's also worth noting about even the Confederate Constitution, it's almost a verbatim copy of the U.S. Constitution, and then they just added several parts they thought would make it better. And the parts they added were parts to protect and defend and expand slavery as new territories would join. That would be a hard time. Did they adopt the Bill of Rights as well? Because I don't know how you square that. Well, that's actually a super interesting question because in the Confederate Constitution, there is no Bill of Rights. Correct. Which is not. Right, which is super interesting. Mm-hmm. I, I have not looked into the conversations they had about not including the Bill of Rights, but absolutely, that would be an interesting conversation yeah. or interesting research. I want to take you to Lincoln uh, and John Quincy Adams here in just a second. We'll do that in a minute. First, uh, the world of business has gotten harder to exist in because of things like ESG and integrity integrity is way out the window everywhere you look companies are being bullied into thinking wokeism is the only way well is it is that what you want to live in a world where bullies run the world their support of esg scores will and in fact are taking over if you need uh to do business please find out more about esg And if you treasure the businesses uh, that uh, you are with, make sure they're standing for the same values you believe in and then support them. One of those companies is Patriot Mobile. It's America's only Christian conservative wireless provider. They offer dependable nationwide coverage on all three networks so you get the very best possible service in your area without any of the woke politics. And when you switch... You're sending a message that you support free speech, religious freedom, the sanctity of life, the Second Amendment, our military, veterans, first responder heroes, and great and inexpensive service without any gimmicks. So you can keep your phone. You can keep your phone number. You just switch now. They'll make it really easy for you. PatriotMobile.com slash Beck. PatriotMobile.com slash Beck. Or you can call 87, let's see, 878 Patriot. 878 Patriot. 10 seconds, station ID. I'm really going to push you and see how much you know. See how, see how much you've listened to your dad. I'm not nervous it. at all. Yeah, I know you're not. Uh, Maybe a little bit. I think that's a slam against me. Um, <laughs> All right. So uh, tell me about the role of not the but the other Adams family, (laughs) the original, uh, the original Adams family and Lincoln. 
the connection all the way through. This is fascinating. So, I mean, really, the John Quincy Adams story is, is what we're alluding to. It's worth backing up. John Adams is one of the founding fathers who never owned slaves and fought against slavery his whole life. Hated it. So John Quincy Adams grows up in this. When John Quincy Adams is eight years old, he, he's at the Battle of Bunker Hill. He and his mom are watching off in the distance. They watch uh, one of their friends, family doctor, Dr. Joseph Warren. He is killed. The most famous painting at the Battle of Bunker Hill is known as the, the murder of Dr. Warren. It shows him in the very front. He's the one being bayoneted. That's the one that has Peter Salem off on the side acknowledging this black hero from the Battle of Bunker Hill. Mm-hmm. John Quincy Adams grows up in that. When he's 11 years old, he receives a congressional appointment to go with his father over to Paris. He's the official secretary to America's diplomat, who was his father. When how old uh, is he then? That's, that's when he's 11. 11, and he's the official secretary. Correct. When he's 14, he received a second congressional appointment, this time before the throne of Catherine the Great in Russia. Oh and this gosh. time he was the interpreter for the delegation. Think about just, just think about this. Think how little we must think of our children when these kids, you know, George Washington at 13, 14 years old, he's surveying, making maps all by himself in Virginia. I mean, these these guys are amazing. They just don't expect it. So, so 14, he's the official interpreter. He's already fluent in six languages, one of them being Russian, which is why he's chosen to go. So, so he grows up doing a lot of this stuff. When George Washington became president, George Washington chose John Quincy Adams to be America's top ambassador. Uh, when John Adams becomes president, John Quincy Adams is again America's top ambassador. When Thomas Jefferson becomes president, because of the drama between Jefferson and Adams, yeah. uh, Jefferson does not ask him to remain, <laughs> but he is elected to be a U.S. senator. When uh, Madison becomes president, John Quincy Adams is elected uh, or is chosen again to be America's top diplomat. John Quincy Adams is the one that negotiates the end of the War of 1812. Under Monroe, he's elected Secretary of State. He then became the sixth president. Uh, at the end of his presidency, he knew there was more to his life. He knew he wasn't done. Stop. How much of that did you know about John Quincy Adams? I know we all grow up knowing John Quincy Adams is the son of John Adams. Move on. Think about what you've missed, just not knowing that amount of history. But wait, it gets really good. I really think John Quincy Adams is probably the most impressive president when it comes to resumes, Mm. just genuinely. So after being president... He feels like his life still still has purpose and meaning. He he ends up running for Congress, and the reason was he said there's a great enmity, or excuse me, a great evil that is yet to be remedied, and it was the evil of slavery. He became the leader of the anti-slavery movement in Congress. While he's there, he fights for 17 years against slavery. At the time, he said that Congress was nearly 80 percent of Congress was either in favor of or like totally fine with slavery, just status quo, leave it as it is. So he knew he had a major uphill battle. Okay, as, hang on just a second. But it was kind of like it is now with the budget, right? People will say if they're in the right, you know, in the in a district that happens to agree, they'll say, oh, I am so against it. But they all do it. That was and that's what his number was reflecting, because there were more congressmen than that that would have said, oh, slavery is wrong. And then he got there and he's like, these people aren't really against slavery, right. which is where he came up with a number. Nearly 80 percent was fine with it. They, they weren't actually fighting against this. He became the leader of the anti-slavery movement. Uh, in Congress, new congressmen are elected every two years. His last term in John Quincy Adams, last term in Congress, one of the freshmen that was elected, 
came and joins the anti-slavery movement. John Quincy Adams is doing these impassioned floor speeches every single week against slavery. Uh, and at this point, they've actually passed new uh, new laws, or I guess it's, it's a House rule. They went to the House Rules Committee. They passed a new rule uh, that was known as the John Quincy Adams gag order. It was literally to stop this guy from talking against slavery. The rule mm-hmm. was that you can't talk about any issue that's already been resolved, especially if it's about slavery, right? They're like, just, <laughs> it was, dude, you're done. It was the done. Quincy Adams rule, it, kind it, of. Totally. Well, he... He was able to fight long enough. That got revoked. But like this is this is what John Quincy Adams has dealt with. So this young freshman joins the anti-slavery movement. John Quincy Adams just again every week making these impassioned pleas. We have to end slavery. It's evil. John Quincy Adams gets up one day. They thought he was going to make a speech. He had a stroke. He clutched his chest, fell over his desk. Mm. He ends up dying in the Capitol building. When he dies. Uh, the anti-slavery movement is incredibly strong in this moment. We like he has led this. There's a lot of people ready to step up, and mm-hmm. this freshman congressman decides he's gonna he's gonna carry on the torch. He runs for re-election, and of course, if people have heard this, they know the story, right? He runs for re-election, he loses. He runs for re-election, loses. Runs for Senate, loses. Runs for state office, loses. And this person didn't win another election until he became president, Abraham Lincoln. And everything that Lincoln did to fight against slavery is what he had learned under John Quincy Adams in the anti-slavery movement of Congress. Now, here's the question, because Lincoln at first says, I can't do anything. I'm I'm a president. I I don't have the power to end slavery. Um, And so he concentrates on the saving of the republic. And people dismiss that as, see, he didn't really care about slaves. Mm -hmm. Which is, is, is what they say, because he gave a speech where he said, if I could if I could end slavery today and preserve the union, I would. If I, if I could keep slavery and preserve the union, I would, because preserving the union is the most important thing. And that's what people discount him saying, see, he wasn't really anti-slavery. That's not correct at all. He actually was a state legislature in uh, Illinois before he became a congressman. And, and he was actually recruited by the Lovejoys in Illinois, who were the leaders of the anti-slavery movement of Illinois. And they recruited Lincoln to run in state house as an anti-slavery state legislator. So he, Lincoln already has a track record of this. He has a track record of being mentored to some extent by John Quincy Adams in Congress. And then he runs on the Republican platform, which that platform is explicitly anti-slavery. What's also a fun tidbit is in the U.S. Constitution, it says that no states can form any confederation or make their own treaties, et cetera, has to go through Congress. So when the Southern states begin to secede and form their own confederation, that is literally a violation of the Constitution, which then gives the president the power to step in and put a stop to it, which leads to the Emancipation Proclamation. What's really amazing is in the museum where we're at the Emancipation Proclamation, we have a letter that was written hastily by Lincoln and sent to the Senate and says, stop what you're doing. It's not going to work. I have a different idea. Give me some time. I'm uh, I'm going to go there with Tim Barton live from the, the Back program. Blueprints of Liberty Museum in St. George, Utah. First, I want to talk to you a little bit about Goldline. Uh, Goldline is the hedge against I- insanity. People say a hedge against gold is a hedge against uh, inflation. We're way beyond inflation. We are in the place where, admit it, the entire world has gone insane. Don't think so. Look around you. Do you recognize your country? Now, if this continues, and I believe it will, um, you're going to see a collapse of the dollar. And when that happens, we become Venezuela. I'm not exaggerating. We become Venezuela. 
when that happens, we're all going to be struggling for anything we can get our hands on. Goldline has reinstated their Mayflower special. Now, this is a gold coin I helped to design with every one ounce quarter. Uh, sorry, with every one quarter ounce gold Mayflower purchased, you're going to receive the one ounce silver and copper Mayflower coins at no additional charge. This is a great deal. You'll get all three medals just when you purchase quarter ounce gold. Do it now. 866 Goldline. 866 Goldline. And head over to blazetv.com slash Glenn. Promo code is Glenn to save 10 bucks off Blaze TV. So we're talking to Timothy Barton about history, and we're going to do a lot of history in the next few days uh, as we're here getting ready to celebrate Independence Day. Um, but we're at the point of John Quincy Adams. He's dead. Lincoln kind of replaces him mm-hmm. as the head of the anti-slavery. He becomes preg- uh, pregnant. He be- <laughs> Why not? He could. <laughs> He's a man, but men can get pregnant. Anyway, he becomes president uh, and um, and uh, John Quincy Adams has a son. And as John Quincy Adams, his son is now coming of age. He kind of repeats the pattern and plays a very important role in grandpa was the uh, guy who worked when the independence of the united states the declaration of independence then you have john quincy adams who's a president and uh, a strong abolitionist in congress and then his son yeah well and and to speak of john adams is the guy that helped in the american revolution with Mm -hmm. the peace treaty of paris john quincy adams is the guy that helps in the war of 1812 and also a fun side note in the war of 1812 is part of our agreement with england at the end of the war of 1812 both nations, America and England at that point had already banned the slave trade. And we were adamantly, both nations adamantly opposed to the evil of the slave trade. And John Quincy Adams, part of his agreement with England to end the War of 1812 is that we would send our navies in collaboration off the coast of Africa to turn back any slave ships and try to stop the slave trade from Africa. Nobody ever talks about that. That drives me out of my mind. We had warships trying to stop the slave trade 1813 it was so they get over there in 1819 but then they're they're there from 1819 all the way until 1861 when the civil war begins lincoln recalls them back in 1861 to come join the union army to fight against the confederate navy is why the the ships came back from africa at that point as the as the civil war unfolds one of the things that the confederates at this point are sending their leaders over into europe they're trying to find allies and they're beginning courting France. And France is pretty close to joining the Confederates for all available evidence. And the ambassador for the North, the Union, was a guy named Charles Francis Adams, the son of John Quincy Adams. And he goes to the actually the the British and the French and says, guys, you you don't want to do this because I understand they're telling you they're just fighting for them, their independence. It's it's a little more that it's a slavery issue. And and he's being told, well, Right. These guys are not saying their number one issue is slavery. Their number one issue they're saying is freedom and independence from oppression. And he says, no, no, this is really about slavery. He says, J- just give us a little time. He says, if you will wait just a few months, it will become very clear this is an issue of slavery. Well, they wait a few months and January 1st, 1863, the Emancipation Proclamation comes out where Lincoln says, all right, we're freeing all the slaves from all of the Confederate states that are currently in rebellion. 
And when that happens, that's when France washes their hands and they're like, all right, we're out. We, we cannot join in this movement because at this point, France is already coming out against slavery as well. And they don't want to be supportive of a nation that's fighting mm-hmm. to preserve their slaves. But literally, you have John Adams, John Quincy Adams, and now Charles Francis Adams, who are the ones navigating to help in these wars. And all of them are very strong anti-slavery individuals. It, and wasn't Rush Limbaugh's wife an Adams? Correct. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? The descendants of. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So let me uh, let me go back and uh, talk about the Emancipation Proclamation a bit, because Congress had already enacted kind of an emancipation, if you will, and the slaves could be free. But it was it was murky and screwed mm-hmm. up. And then they went back to write it again. And we have a letter in the museum from Lincoln, just hastily written to the Senate leader and saying, don't adjourn, don't adjourn. Right. I'm working on something. Tell me that story. So it, that was he was working on what was known as the Second Confiscation Act. And that is the Confiscation Act was a little bit of a precursor to the Emancipation Proclamation. But the idea was because these states are in rebellion, um, then we have the power and authority to go in and step in and seize some of these things, which is also for people listening, this is where some individuals in the South are like, Lincoln was a tyrant, look at what he did. And and even though certainly that could be very tyrannical depending on what your position was mm-hmm. in the South, because there, there are absolutely indications that there were some people in the South that were thrust in the middle of this that had some of their property confiscated. And literally they're like, we, we weren't even trying to fight you guys right now. Or there were some Confederates who, uh, once they were captured in a war, they were, th- th- there's some interviews that were done. And, and the, some of these interviews are worth note where unit officers would ask them, you guys seem like honorable people, right? We're trying to end slavery and yet you're fighting against us. Why are you doing this? And they said, well, it's because you were on my land. And we say that to right. give a little context because the political position of the South was very clear, but not everybody supported that. And it's a little bit like our- And I think not everybody was aware well, and, and to make the full connection, it's like our political leaders today, mm-hmm. right? Like, do we fully support what President Biden or what Nancy Pelosi or some of our congressional leaders, even right now, the Republicans, like, do we fully support everything they're doing? Of course not. But they if are. If we go to war with Russia, how many people that voted for uh, Joe Biden are going to be like, yeah, absolutely. I'm for it. I don't think most people on either side no. know what the hell we're doing over there. No. And, and this is, I think, where there were definitely people in the South that did not support that position. Right. But the political leaders were very clear. And historically, mm-hmm. politicians write checks all the time. They make their people mm-hmm. cash. And it's not always great for the people cashing the checks. However, with that being said, the document we have is Lincoln writing the Senate saying, guys, I know you're about to adjourn. Stay a little longer, I'm working on something. It was a second confiscation act. It was the update to the first confiscation act saying that those individuals in rebellion, that, that they can, at this point, they would forfeit some of their property, their possessions. Well, this leads to the Emancipation Proclamation. And as we just celebrated June 19th, mm-hmm. there's many people thinking, right, well, that's when slavery ended. Well, again, that's like, we have so many dumb historical assessments in America today that's not correct. June 19th is when uh, Gordon Granger, a union officer, arrived in Galveston, Texas. He makes the announcement uh, that, hey, the Civil War's over and Emancipation Proclamation has happened. And there were slaves in Texas that had, had not heard any of that news. They didn't, they didn't know the Civil War's over, that they were freed. So this was a, an, an incredible celebration. Well, this is more than two years after the Emancipation Proclamation came oh, out. Crazy. What's also worth noting about this 
is that the Emancipation Proclamation only applied to those states that were actively in rebellion in the Civil War. And there were some states that had already been retaken by the Union before the Emancipation Proclamation. And there were some states that were pro-slavery, that had slaves, but that supported the Union. And so the Emancipation Proclamation did not free all the slaves in America. So even June 19th, when people say, this is what ended slavery. No, it's not. There's a reason we had the 13th Amendment. And the 13th Amendment is what actually ended slavery in America in the sense of what we knew from African slavery. No, slavery in America, in the sense that we knew um, of African slavery. Yes, I guess you're technically right. In America, but not in the um, the the map of America, uh, <laughs> because there's another country, several other countries. Several other countries. In our country. Correct. That we so, always forget about. Right. So one of the things that we... As you're alluding to, we forget about is there are sovereign nations that live inside the United States of America, and those sovereign nations are Indian nations. And in those, so there were several tribes at that point. The 1860 census identified there were five major tribes, and all those tribes they had African slaves. In fact, I think it was 13, 12 or 13 percent of those those tribes were African slaves. It was the census data that came out from I believe it was 1860 is when that's from, but the the American government had to do new treaties with those Indian tribes to get them to free their slaves after the 13th Amendment is passed and ratified. And in it, we ended up paying those nations, essentially, we, essentially, right? It's like we bought the slaves and then freed the slaves in the American government. But even once America ended slavery, that's not to your point when slavery exactly ended in the, the territory of the United States of America because there were sovereign nations, the Indian nations that still had slaves but the American government was so set at that point on ending slavery that they were going at that point actively to those tribes saying, what can we do? Let's let's renegotiate. And then there were new treaties written saying that there could be no further slavery in those tribes. So how long was it before slavery was truly ended in the territorial United States? The, the, the following year is when they went to those tribes. And then the, the treaty was written several years after. Um, but I believe all of all of the slaves had already been freed uh, in that following year. So I would say really by 1866 um, is, is when practically slavery is, is ended in America. You are going to learn so much history if you come through. Now, if you can't get here, that's fine. Um, you, you can find out all the information at unitedwepledge.org. And I think they're selling walk-up tickets. I'm not sure. Um, but uh, you're invited to come. If you can't come, we did a special on Blaze TV that takes you through and shows you some of the documents, some of the artifacts, some things that you probably didn't even know exist that really change history. Um, I want to uh, I'm, I'm going to see if I can get um, uh, Stephen Mansfield on because he's got a different look at Lincoln. I I really think it's important that we learn the good side and the bad side of everybody and of every country. Uh, and, you know, we've done monstrous things in our country, um, but we've also done some really glorious things. Mm. Mansfield has a book out about Lincoln's battle with God, and he really was before he uh, uh, found God or found his way. He was really kind of a dark dude, wasn't he? He Lincoln did embrace and really go a, a very different direction than what he's remembered for in a lot of respects, where you've identified before, you've talked about it, where Lincoln grew up in a very abusive home. His, his father was a Christian, but he was an alcoholic. He, he beat Lincoln. He beat the mom. And 
And so when Lincoln kind of comes of age and leaves home, he decides he's going to be an atheist because he can't stand what his father did. And if his father represents Christianity, he wanted nothing to do with it. So Lincoln ran headlong in the opposite direction. And, and Lincoln becomes an, an avid, outspoken atheist. He hates Christianity. He uh, begins visiting brothels, has many mental breakdowns, uh, many of them associated to, he thought he, uh, because he had been visiting these brothels, he thought he had contracted syphilis and was going to die of syphilis. And when, I mean, when you see Lincoln, it's very evident. He was running as far away as he could from what he had heard is what Christianity was. Mm. And that is absolutely not the story we generally get of, of Lincoln. But it's also, as, as you're saying, we want to learn the good and bad. I mean, really, what, what you're indicating is we want to learn the true story. Yeah. And if it, it, it's, it's one thing that I think is important, too, to balance is if we're looking, for example, at George Washington saying we need to learn the good and bad, we'll learn the whole story. And if someone says, but you're highlighting more good about Washington than bad, well, that's because you're going to find way more good in his life than bad. Right. But and, he, and the bad would have just led to his personal destruction. The bad in Lincoln really stopped before he uh gained public office and it's not what he did the good is what you remember him for if he were visiting brothels and everything else while he were president it would probably play a bigger important role but you're not held to things of your past if you repent for them right or pay the you know the civil price if you broke the law and and that's where as as even we navigate history there are some people that say you need to balance it and then say as many good things as bad things. And that's just not honest or accurate historically. Some people had way more bad than good. Some had way more good than bad, but you want to learn the honest story. You notice nobody says that about Hitler. <laughs> right? Yeah. Nobody says, well, oh, what, you what know, all the you, good things. Yeah. Well, he invented freeways. Okay. That doesn't really balance anything. <laughs> Wasn't he an artist too? Yeah, he was an artist. I hear kind of a all bad artists one. have a dark side. Well, no, no, not, not all artists. <laughs> <laughs> Timothy, uh, Timothy Barton from wallbuilders.com. They do an just amazing work uh, with teachers, with education, uh, history. They are really, they're my good, dear friends and have done so much. Um, unsung good uh and it's a privilege to have you on thank you glenn. thank you timothy tim tim barton on uh, the glenn Beck program from wallbuilders.com so what's the biggest summer secret to getting a great looking glowing summer complexion well taking great care of your skin is really important but it's a lot more than just staying hydrated and using sun protection sun damage humidity uh, dehydrated skin uh, covered in dark spots puffy bags under the eyes these are all problems that everybody faces eventually. And, you know, there's not a, not a whole lot of fun involved in that process. But thankfully, GenuCell has the perfect answer. Introducing GenuCell's beautifully curated summer essentials package. This limited edition package includes their one-of-a-kind ultra retinol super moisturizer, which in- includes a, a power plant extract alternative to retinol so you can ditch the harsh side effects. It's perfectly safe to use in the summer sun and the classic skincare therapy for dealing with under eye bags and puffiness. Right now, you can go to GenuCell.com slash Beck and get your GenuCell Summer Essentials Package. And just for the summer, uh, you can get the subscription order that includes a customized summer spa gift box absolutely free. This is a great gift, by the way, for anyone you got uh, coming up on your list. Every summer package includes GenuCell's immediate effects, also free. And with the immediate effects, you get uh, results guaranteed in 12 hours or less. So you're going to know, and there's no risk here. 
don't uh, don't wait. Go check out genucell.com slash Beck now. Genucell.com slash Beck. Great gift for you. The best in skincare for someone you love. It's G-E-N-U-C-E-L.com slash Beck. The Glenn Beck Program. Sign up for the free newsletter today at glennbeck.com. What does it say about the Republican Party that the next guy down is Ron DeSantis, who, who is running the most openly fascist campaign openly. I think I've ever seen? And I'm saying that having covered Donald Trump oh. running for president, oh. that's the next guy down. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I suppose if you're inside DeSantis' war room, you've got to think of a way to get yourself indicted to get up ahead of Donald <laughs> Trump. Um, that's funny. You, you know, this just goes to that's my point that this is what the party wants to be. And. It's a hard thing for a lot of us who worked in the party to accept mm-hmm. that we helped create this moment, but we did. And and this this is very purposeful by the party. It's not something they stumbled into. Their second choice is a guy who is worse than Trump. So oh, there we go. There we go. We got it. All right, that's uh, from by the way, really- uh, noted homophobe Joy Reed's program talking what it, once again about. Now, DeSantis is is worse than Trump, and this is what happens every single time a Republican runs for office. And we, we've obviously Trump gets the worst of this probably over the past few years. But if you go back, remember they were calling George W. Bush a terrorist, a terrorist, and then Giuliani took the lead, and he was going to be worse than Trump. And then McCain got the nomination; he was going to be worse than Trump. And then Romney got it, and he was going to be worse, excuse me, than Bush. And then Trump got it, and he was the worst. And then now DeSantis is worse than even Trump, who they've been spending two years telling us he was uniquely horrible for so many reasons. And now the new guy who's behind Trump in the polls is going to be worse than Trump. It's the same story over and over and over again. And why would anyone believe it? We'll have more tomorrow here on the Glenn Beck Program. The Glenn Beck Program.